The Ensemble Advice South Africa podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional or financial advice. Ensemble Advice is not a licensed financial services provider and does not provide financial services. Before making investment decisions, you should obtain financial advice from a qualified financial advisor. I'm Louis van der Merwe, Certified Financial Planner. Join me every week where I get to have discussions with global leaders in the financial planning space to help you serve your clients better and run a more efficient financial planning practice. This is Financial Planners South Africa podcast. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Comspace is a revenue management solution developed specifically for independent financial advisors. It is a web-based application that tracks, allocates, and manages advisor revenue. The system seamlessly reads commission statements from financial institutions and can address any permutation of commission splits. Comspace provides mind-blowing, out-the-box revenue business intelligence and analytics, along with super-flexible reporting to effectively manage and grow your business. Welcome to another episode of Ensemble Advice South Africa. Today, I'm sitting in the office of Dr. Johnny de Villiers Stradom, who I had the privilege of 15 years ago being my lecturer at the University of Stellenbosch, who definitely shaped the path going forward. Johnny, it's lovely to be here. Thank you very much, Louis. It's a privilege to be on your podcast. Just driving into Stellenbosch, it looked very different <laughs> from 15 years ago, yes. but yet so many elements stayed the same, mm-hmm. like the same names, the same way we're giving advice. Tell us a little bit about your role here at the University of Stellenbosch. You mentioned that you're an extraordinary senior lecturer. Um, yes, and I'm also a, um, a postdoc fellow. So I do research on the university's behalf. So I got to be a postdoc fellow when I graduated in March 2021 as a, as a doctor in financial planning. And uh, yeah, the university said, well, they think I should continue my research career. And I also lecture. So I lectured this term in financial planning for third-year students. That's wonderful. I mean, we don't hear of a lot of um, people that have the title of doctor in financial planning. Um, Are there other doctors in financial planning? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Last year, I attended a conference in Florida, United States of America, and I, of course, uh, was introduced to, to many doctors, also with a CFP qualification. Yeah, so that was a big highlight for me. And at that conference, I shared my, my, the main results of my PhD studies. Can you share with us a little bit of what the research was on? Yeah, so I researched um, annuity decision-making. So annuity in this case is the annuity decision that you take at retirement. So as you know, in South Africa, you are obligated to to utilize a, a, a portion of your pension or provident or RA fund interest to purchase an annuity. There's this big decision that you must make. And there are two main annuity income options. 
the guaranteed life annuity that you buy at a life insurer and you're guaranteed that income up until your death. And then the living annuity, which is worldwide the most popular option. We invest money and you withdraw in South Africa between two and a half and 17 and a half percent of your income. So I had a, a wonderful supervisor, Professor Johan de Villiers, and he said there's something that keeps him up at night. And the thing that keeps him up at night is why does everyone go for the living annuity option? And uh, I started researching this topic and it's known worldwide, it's been dubbed as the annuity puzzle. Because why are everyone going for this option where there are so much uncertainty? And especially with people living longer, why are they not going for the route that protects them from their longevity risk, living too long. And uh, yeah, so that's what I researched, annuity decision-making and looking at the factors that relate to our eventual decision and then our satisfaction in retirement. That's fascinating because yeah. I think it, what we've done within our business is to say for a certain type of client, typically when the funds are not sufficient, we want to make sure that they first consider the life annuity. Yes. What was your findings? How much of this was bought? You know, I sold through the advisor in terms of steering. Hey, we're going to go down this path versus client selected. Because I would imagine that a lot of clients don't necessarily have the financial knowledge to make that decision. Yeah. It's the same when we go to the doctor and, and we need to make some kind of medical decision. We trust the expert. So, um, Daniel, uh, Kahneman and Swarski, they did very interesting research, um, which fits very nice into this topic. And they said um, people look through some decisions through a certain frame, and then they get to a specific decision. And this annuity decision, especially from the advisor's uh, vantage point, they look at it from um an investment frame or from that lens. So they, when they explain to the client their options, they look at risk and return uh, characteristics of this choice. Um, but they do not look at the annuity decision from a consumption frame. Mm-hmm. You know, will we be able to, to have a certain level of consumption up until the end of our lives? And uh, it's these biases, these cognitive biases, not only from the um, the client's perspective, but also the advisor that really interests me. So what was interesting in my research is that people go for the living annuity route because they, they have this hope of earning an above average return on this pot of gold, this pot of money. And by looking at it from that perspective, through that lens, um, but they don't think about the potential of not having enough money, of outliving their money. And um, there's also a very interesting cognitive bias called risk order bias. It's very easy for us to access near periods in our imagination. Like it would be very easy for us to imagine um, being hit by a bus. But the possibility and the possible consequences of getting very old and being old 
And in poverty, that's difficult for us to imagine because it's a far-off period. So becoming aware of these cognitive biases when we make decisions is important because then we can overcome the mental shortcuts and the and the biases and the irrationalities in our decision making. So that's sort of the, the, the finding. That's fascinating, Johnny. And what strikes me is that the work that you do with students is not too dissimilar, right? Because you also yes. have to think about your future self. How yes. would the student today be happy with the decisions they made 15 years from now, do you bring that work into into the classroom? I try to, especially after my PhD, to to get sort of the um, the life skills and and uh, yeah, to to bring some aspect of that into into the theory. And I think um, the industry is more moving towards towards that, incorporating such uh, soft skills. Mm-hmm and uh, decision-making skills and understanding how we make decisions, how we arrive at certain decisions to understand that and to become aware of of uh, inconsistencies or suboptimal behavior. I spe- specifically also found in my research that people in retirement, 10 years in retirement, receiving living annuity income, they are more dissatisfied and um, I could relate that specifically to people who at the start thought that um, the living annuity option is such a good option because it has this potential to earn above average return. So this characteristic that in the beginning they found drew them towards this product at the end r- related to their dissatisfaction with, with being a living annuity owner. Uh, so, so I thought that was quite that was the biggest surprise, surprising result of my of my research. Oh, yeah, this is fascinating because I think if clients knew that, if we propose that within our, you know, the options that we discussed to say people tend to be dissatisfied with this option, I would imagine that there would be a different outcome. And at the same time, if you're wearing a wealth manager versus a financial planner that maybe looks at, you know, what does the future hold? We just spent yesterday at uh, Helderberg Retirement Village uh, as a team, just speaking to some people there. It was a bit of a community outreach because one of our team members has family there. And it struck me that these people had very few options. And these Mm -hmm. are people in their 70s and Mm -hmm. their 80s. And financially, things happened that they couldn't be afforded options. Mm. Mm. How did you bring in, you know, people in late retirement years and their satisfaction? Because I would imagine those are difficult conversations to to research. Um, how did that take place? Yeah, so I did a questionnaire or survey-based research. So I sent out a, a, a lot of questionnaires and then I analyzed the data. Uh, I think also an important aspect now that you talk about um, people uh, later in life is that the living in an annuity option requires uh, active management and choosing a withdrawal rate and 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 the underlying funds and making sure that the money um, keeps pace. The investment rate keeps also pace with inflation and um, people later in life, especially when the person who handled the finances, the spouse who handled the finances, dies first, it becomes more difficult, more of a challenge. Um, when you lose your your mental health, or um, you get a, a client could get dementia, or whatever, those financial decisions become even more of a challenge 
challenge later in life and with illness and spouses passing away. Yeah, I'm a real advocate for at least putting on the table this other potential option, um, this guaranteed uh, annuity option that um, yeah won't give you sleepless nights, and you know it's there, it's guaranteed. Uh, yeah, so yeah, and in South Africa we have wonderful products like just annuity with these Absolutely. with profit annuities. Yeah. yeah, yet it's sometimes it's complex to explain to clients. I think as financial planners we fall in the trap of this is the way it's always been done. Yeah, how have you find are financial planners good at challenging the narrative of saying oh this this way we've always been doing it uh, we need to relook at it uh, was there maybe a new wave of people revisiting the way financial planning is done? Yeah. That's a good a good question to ask. I think it's important, and I think that's the role of academia in financial planning, is to, to ask the difficult questions and to look at alternatives and to question the way that we've been doing things and say, are there perhaps other ways? And, and what does the research say? Can we ground this in, in, in empirical research? And, and I think there's definitely a case to be, to be made to at least have that conversation, especially also with, with clients in retirement. Are you still happy with, sure. with, with your current choice? Or because, um, my father at age 76, he was a, a mathematics professor at this university for over 40 years. And, um, he chose the living annuity. And uh, I remember when there's sort of a market correction, the, the worry, I saw the worry. And, um, but so he kept, uh, on going with his living annuity. And then when, when I graduated and, and I found that retirees are, you know, they are dissatisfied, <laughs> the living annuitant, he said, well, perhaps we should revisit my retirement choice. And uh, so at age 76, he switched to a guaranteed life annuity and he says he sleeps much better at night, especially now with the, um, the run on the banks in America. You know, he sees the market turning down and uh, it doesn't affect him. So. And here we are, two people in financial planning. My mother has a guaranteed annuity <laughs> income. Your father now has yeah, a guarantee. Yeah. There is absolutely a place for... People's peace of mind. Absolutely, yeah. And and that should also just be something to consider and to, to have on the table, yeah. And these are difficult conversations, right? Yeah. Because yeah. on the one hand, the financial models are geared towards incentivizing advisors Absolutely. to yes. go the living annuity yes. route. Yes. I want to ask you the, the in-fund annuitization options that we're seeing. So people retiring from their employer, the the umbrella fund or the standalone retirement yeah, fund has yeah. to now offer them in-fund yeah. annuities. Yeah. Are those things successful? Is it being taken up? That's a good question. I don't have any numbers, but I have a friend um, that is retiring soon. And, you know, I said that you should definitely consider it because, um, I mean, just from an economies of scale perspective, the, the costs uh, are very competitive with such big yeah. funds. Yeah, so so I think it's it's a great move towards um, uh, protecting clients' interest. Yeah. yeah, and that time of your life when everything is changing, your career is coming yeah. to an end. Yeah. you have it's a big to transition. You have to make the most important decision of your yes. life yes. in terms of your finances, but also 
what are you going to be doing with the rest of your of your life? I, I want to rewind a little bit to find out how Johnny ended up in the financial services. Uh, give us a little bit of that backstory. Um, okay, my my story. Yeah, so I was um, an economics student here at Stellenbosch University, and my one of my lecturers in my honors year. Christu um, Malan from Autis, his practice is in Valdivie, Battle. He said that for one of the students in the class, he's going to offer a job opportunity in Durbanville those days. Yeah. And uh, I worked very hard that year and uh, I got the job. And he had a, a small uh, boutique asset management firm and then a financial planning practice. And I started out being very interested um, in the in the asset management, the investment sides. But as I saw how Christo interacted with his clients and the relationship and the trust that formed and how he become involved in people's life stories and their decisions um, and our life outcomes, I thought, well, maybe I should shift a gear to more the CFP route. And I enrolled for, um, uh, applied to do my, my CFP qualification at the University of the Free State. And, uh, yeah, I think in 2006, uh, I received my CFP designation. And then we, um, my husband got a job in Stellenbosch. And uh, being born and bred Stellenbosch uh, girl, I thought, well, you know, we're not going to pass up this opportunity. I'd love to come back to Stellenbosch. I really enjoyed our time in Durbanville, but I thought, um, yeah, let's do it. And then I contacted uh, Amy van Niekerk from FinFocus Financial Planner in Stellenbosch, and I said, we we are going. To, uh, I'm going to return to Stellenbosch, and um, I love financial planning. I have my CFP qualification, or almost. I almost have it. And uh, do they have a job for me? And uh, Amy van Niekerk, her husband is Professor Anton van Niekerk uh, of, at Philosophy at the University of Stellenbosch. She said, "Let's make a plan." And there I worked um, for a couple of years, but I also. Uh, kept contact with Professor Neil Krieger. So he's to this day my mentor and um, he was one of the founding directors of Momentum and he, for the last uh, part of his career, he thought he's going to give back and uh, um, have a career in in academia, and he and he was extremely successful. Um, one of the favourite lecturers here at, uh, as you will know, at Department Business Management, and uh, wrote many articles, published peer-reviewed articles. In any case, I kept contact with Professor Neil Krieger, and in two thousand and six, we had a meeting, and he said he wants to start an undergraduate module and focus area in financial planning. And he knows my dad quite well. And, you know, um, academics, teaching, that blood runs through my veins. No no, uh, question about it. And Professor Krieger said, would you be interested in in being a lecturer here at Stellenbosch University? Develop this module and let's see how it goes. And um, I remember that day I went to my mom and dad's house and they said, well, you know, this is your dream job. You take it. And uh, yeah, so in 2007, I was uh, employed here at Stellenbosch University and 
for 10 years, I lectured financial planning at second and third year level. And Professor Neil Krieger was also the founder of the Postgraduate Diploma in Financial Planning that is presented at the Stellenbosch Business School. Yeah, so um, I've had a wonderful career up to now. Wow, just these names that you that you mention are the giants of our, our industry Absolutely. and our profession yeah. guiding us. And now you get to make a difference in the future coming yes. through. I'm yeah. curious, what were the skills that you had to work on moving from financial planner to lecturer? Is that something that just wasn't running in your veins and you could just step in and, and present and now teach? Um, being mindful that I think I was part of your second year class. Okay. <laughs> so, so I didn't see the first version, but I saw the second version. Um, tell me about that change because that's a yeah. big shift moving that from, is... you know, ultimately working one-on-one with people, yeah. now presenting in a big class, yeah. teaching. How, yeah. how easy or how difficult was that for you? I remember before my first lecture, I was afraid that my voice would not come out the right way <laughs> because I've never spoken in front of many people. But I remember standing in front of that class and it's, yeah, it, it, something came over me and I knew this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. So I think it, if it's, it's, it's a passion and it aligns with your life purpose. Um, because I'm introverted and perhaps a bit shy, but, but but when I when I have a purpose and I feel this is what I am here to do, then that melts away and and something else takes over. Um, I think what also helped is I've sung in in my dad's choir, the Libertas Choir, for most of my life, and I think. Being on stage and singing in front of audiences, I think perhaps that helped also. That showmanship, uh, <laughs> projecting your voice, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and we're sitting here with two microphones that really feel like we yeah. are going to break into a song. Um, Johnny, that's that's wonderful. And it's it strikes me that talking about your purpose and the purpose that you're doing right now is very close to the work that we do every day with clients, yeah. figuring out their purpose, what do you think the next 10 years has uh, in place for you in financial planning? Well, I would love to continue lecturing um, and I would love to continue my research. I'm, I'm doing interesting research on um, financial literacy and financial behavior. Um, conventional wisdom says that if we have objective financial knowledge about interest rates, diversification, shares, etc. We will make better decisions. We will pay off our debt diligently. We will save. But we are not seeing that happening. I I mean, worldwide, there's a problem with savings. Uh, People don't save. Um, They don't save enough. And um, yeah, so I I love to ask these questions and to delve deep into that. What are we missing? What what other factors should we uh, develop to to ensure that people uh, in the future make better decisions? Is it the way to to control financial control? Is it planning? Is it um, should we start from very young, from modeling from parents? Should we encourage parents to, to open savings accounts for their children? 
you know what what also the psychological factors um the role of procrastination and and all of these things how what should we know what can mm-hmm. we we change to to see uh, an improvement in people's uh, financial behavior so i'm very excited to think that I, I have wonderful data that I've collected and I'm just waiting for, for, um, the end of the term and then I'm going to analyze it. I'm very excited to see what's going to come out and how can we help people to, to improve that aspect of their lives. It sounds like it's a lot more to do about behavioral economics yes. and then applying that to the world of financial planning. Yes, absolutely. Okay. That's where my interest lies. My grandmother on my father's side, she was a psychologist. And I remember as a child being very curious about her psychology books. So it's almost as if um, that part of me is also developing and to the, the combination of psychology and financial planning um, that is a sweet spot for me. <laughs> and this financial planning handbook is lying here between us that's uh, just celebrated the, the 20 year anniversary. Yes. And we're seeing in America the inclusion of the psychology of personal financial planning. Yes. I know that there's quite a few people in South Africa working on this. Do you yeah. think it's slowly going to increase in terms of importance? Um, within this profession and do you think there's a place within the the teaching curriculum and undergraduate? Oh, absolutely and I feel passionately about it. Um, interestingly, I applied for, for a job just after my graduation in 2021. I wanted to spread my wings a bit, you know, keep your options open and I applied for a job at South Dakota State University in North America and uh, Louis, you won't believe, but they gave me a three-hour interview. I was totally exhausted. <laughs> we can learn lessons from them, fr- from interviewing people. And um, in any case, it went very well. And, and we were very excited about uh, an adventure overseas for a couple of years. But in the end, I didn't get it. And I asked them, just give me some feedback. I just want to learn from the experience. And they said, across the board in America, all the universities, the financial planning students take concurrently financial therapy or something to that effect, psychology of financial planning and behavioral finance. And I have no experience in lecturing these subjects. And, you know, based on that, it was a good interview, but you don't have that. And other, you know, the other applicants had it. So... I feel very strongly that we must align with those universities and uh, and bring these concepts. It's very important. It's important for the investment students, for the financial management students and the financial planning students. And it's going to be more so. Everything, the markets are driven by people's emotions, fear, greed. Do people in the psychology departments talk about finance? I don't know if you have any friends there because I'm curious. I mean, we have in America this financial therapy designation that you can only really obtain if you go through the technical side of, you know, the American finance model. Yet we have nothing like that in South Africa. Not eh? that I'm aware of. Is there a place to walk into the psychology department and say, hey, who's interested in finance? Um, Yeah, I I mean, you're giving me an idea. We should should draw from them. Uh, We don't need to reinvent the wheel. 
um, yeah, so I'm, I, I would be very excited to be part of a movement in that direction and to explore that further. There's some fascinating people in America. And what I've seen is that often it's around family dynamics, um, these internal systems that they talk about. So it doesn't necessarily have to be counseling, but it can just be understanding human decision-making and what drives our decisions. Absolutely. And I would love for us to see that in South Africa because just speaking to the students this morning, very few of them had a default in the human sciences. Like there was only a few hands that were raised that were interested in psychology, yet in hindsight, that's actually what we do. Yeah, yeah. And as you also said uh, in the lecture this morning, Louis, that – um, with with artificial intelligence, the technical side is going that those aspects uh, the, the development of AI is going to take care of many of the technical aspects. So what we have to offer is really understanding the human side of financial planning. I, I really look <laughs> forward to seeing that develop in South Africa because now we have wonderful universities with wonderful lecturers that can set this this pathway. But yet we still see a big drop-off in financial planners. I think yeah. about 70 or 80% of them leave the industry yeah. very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen a change in that over the last you know, 10, 15 years? Um, or is that a, an area that's got its own challenges and things that are maybe not um, yeah, so in your we, scope? We try to help the third-year students to get placed at good financial mm-hmm. planning firms. Um, and it's very important that it's a reputable firm that is not sales driven and that the students receive at least for two years a fixed salary so that they, they are not cold calling clients, um, et cetera. So, um, you know, the results are very mixed. Um, I spoke last year to, to uh, some of my old students and some of them landed with amazing firms and they are doing so well and they've been in the industry um, since um, and they have happy careers but I've also seen the other side um, where they had yeah traumatic experience and um, yeah they've been thrown up a telephone book and say do cold calling and and sell and and your salary is based on or you just earn commission so um that that is that is not what what I stand for. That is not financial planning. So this shows all about the positive evolution of financial advice, and it's getting to a point where we're professionals and we're getting remunerated. If you had to leave a set of instructions for someone to look for a financial planner, let's say it's a family member, what would those instructions be? What are the are the things that you look for when you would interview a financial planner? Okay, so well, firstly. Um, the technical side must be there. Um, yeah, I mean, ac- the academic side is obviously important for me. Um, so I would definitely not consider someone without a CFP qualification because in that way, I know that that person has certain minimum um, uh, experience and education. You know, they have a certain standard and they adhere to a certain code of ethics. So that is very important. And then um, I'm actually um, a, a client of, of an advisor at FinFocus in Stellenbosch. And he also has a CFA qualification, which I like because I, I like to talk about the technical side of my investments. So I think that's a, a great combination to have. 
Um, and he's also an admitted attorney. And when we reviewed um, um, our will uh, recently, it was very nice to talk to someone who also has that kind of background. And then very important for me is empathy. If I'm sitting and talking to someone about my will and I'm talking about, you know, things that are hard, you know, what will happen if my husband and I pass away at the same time? What will happen to our children? And will we set up a trust? I want to talk to someone that I can look in the eye and I feel comfortable and I feel that they relate to me and my fears and my worries. That is very, I don't want to talk to a robot. I don't want to download a will. I want that tailor-made experience. Yeah, that, yeah, I want to, to sit with someone and, and talk once or twice a year about my situation and how things have changed. And I'm also very excited about the industry. What are the new products? What are the new trends? And yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice feeling to, to have a place where I know I can, can safely have these discussions around financial planning. I would love to see those conversations <laughs> and I can imagine how potentially intimidating that could be to most financial planners, having to present a financial plan <laughs> to someone that does this for a living. Yet what you're saying is what we hear from almost every client. I'm just, I'm also just a client. When, when it becomes personal, it's different. Suddenly you feel a bit, you know, unsure. Am I doing the right things? Am I missing something? Um, so yeah, I think it's important that, <laughs> that even I go to a financial planet because I also have blind spots. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are those things that you're teaching your kids about finances? Are you, are you going home and, and are they receiving a lecture about financial planning or do you have a different way of talking about money to your kids, kids in an yeah. intentional manner? Yeah. So, um, my, my children are, um, 10 and 12, almost 10 and 12 respectively. So we, we've just opened two tax-free savings accounts for each child. And, um, and I explained it to them because I think it's a very nice way for them to become interested in investments. And, um, it's interesting. I spoke to my daughter. I spoke to them separately. And, um, what I want to teach them is not only are we putting away some money for them and therefore not spending it today as they would rather do. We are putting it away and we're not only putting it away, this money is going to grow so that they can one day go to university or start a business, you know, to it, it's an investment in their future. And it's interesting, my daughter, she, I, I saw that she was processing everything I told her and she said, what's a company and what is a share and what, ask these questions. And she said, it was then quiet in the car and later she said, mom, is it like you are planting a seed and then that seed will become a tree? And I said, yes, <laughs> you understand. And, and I think with the research on financial literacy, one of the components is a family, what they call family financial socialization. And a subcomponent of that is being open with your children about finances, 
opening a savings account, modeling financial behavior. So we have discussions around money frequently in the house in a positive way. But what we, we set limits for ourselves. We have a budget and, and we carefully consider things before we make purchases. So I think they, they're off to an okay start. Yeah. It sounds like they are the right path. Um, one of my earlier guests, um, Matt Gardner wrote four books yeah. on financial literacy and the four really? money bears yeah. talk about saving money, spending money, investing money, but yeah. also giving money. Oh, and that's wow. such a nice framework yes. that I often refer to with clients, yeah. thinking Beautiful. about the four things that your money yes. can do and creating these money Habits and money stories. I mean, our yes. earliest money memories start at the age exactly. of seven. And that's, that's where the financial therapeutic process begins. Yeah. Um, as, as I said, I spoke to Susan Bradley and she said, um, she also always starts with asking someone, what's your first memory about money? And, and a lot of these parts that form in our brains dictate how we think about money and the decisions we make. So we must start at the beginning. Is that a question we should be asking students, um, almost like yes. an essay in terms of applying to become a financial planner? Yes. Because what I'm seeing through the courses that we do is the work starts with yourself. Yes. Yet in the university, there's very little space for that. Maybe it's because of the curriculum yeah. of the self-development yes. work to almost to prepare you to become a, fi a better financial planner. Yes, that's a very good point to make. And I think as we inter introduce into the modules – Aspects of uh, the psychology of financial planning, behavioral aspects, it will it will bring about room for these type of self development questions. Johnny, it's been wonderful <laughs> to have you on the show today. Thank you very Thank much you. for having me. It's been a privilege. Yeah, it's uh, just but going back to the roots. Um, I wish you all the best Thank for you very much. the lives that you're touching and with Thank your career. You. I appreciate it. <laughs>